together for a phase of our worship, which is a celebration of the Lord's Supper. We are commanded by the Lord to do this in His remembrance. As I have said many, many times, this is the only celebration the Scripture authorized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, it is a ritual that has a great significance because of what it represents. It is a ritual that brings believers together under one table at one time so that we should think about our Savior all at the same time. It is such a, a serious endeavor that those who come to it lightly endanger themselves spiritually and physically. That is why the Bible tells us therefore whenever or whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you are falling asleep. So, the Corinthians, whose epistles we've been studying, came to this celebration thinking it was a joking matter. It was just in his ritual. And some of them, after they participated, they went home, got sick. And some actually died. Because this is not an ordinary ritual. It requires that you contemplate, reflect on what it is that you are about to undertake. Because that's an instruction from the Lord. He said, do this in remembrance of me. What are you going to remember about him? A whole lot. But he wants us to remember. He sacrificed for us. That means that when you take the bread, it should remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ offered himself for you. That whatever he suffered on the body was for your sin and for my sins. You should think about that. You should remember that. Of course, also you think about the fact the body. Because when you celebrate the or to take of the bread, that what you're doing is you're saying that you're a part of the body of Christ. And therefore the benefits of being in Christ is what you enjoy. When we when you drink the uh, juice or wine, as people say, what you're doing is you're also saying that I recognize what Christ did on the cross for me. And I also am claiming and asserting or affirming that I am a recipient of the blessings of the death of Christ on the cross, which includes forgiveness of sins. So it is a very serious occasion 
So when we celebrate it, you ought to carefully examine your soul to ensure the condition of your soul in order not to live here with judgment from God. For this reason, we spend some time to give everyone the opportunity to examine his or her soul and see if you're qualified or if you're in that right condition to take it. Now, if you're an unbeliever and you take it, it doesn't really mean anything. It has no significance. But for a believer, you can be sure that it has great significance. For that reason, we spend some time giving each one the opportunity to look at his or her soul. In other words, if there's anything that you have picked up during break, or while you're sitting, this is the time to confess it before the Lord and get ready to celebrate this occasion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this high privilege that your Son has given us to do what we are about to do in remembrance of him. We do pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us as we celebrate so that we will think of the significance of what he did for us on the cross. Enable us to focus on him as we celebrate. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. You know the routine. Get yours and uh, peel up the top part and uh, bring out the bread. The Lord, the night just before he was betrayed, he took the bread. After offering times, he says, eat, this represents my body. Father, thank you for the body that has been given for us. We pray that um, as we celebrate the cup, that our mind will continue to focus upon you. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, like I will try to do, give you a few more moments to ponder on what this all means before we partake of the cup.
air fill up with fill up the other part and In the same fashion, after Allah gave again thanks, he said, drink from it, all of you. Yeah, we'll turn to 186, the old rugged cross. Oh. 
before the break and before the Lord's Supper, we had introduced a new section of First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22 that we're studying. We indicated that the message of this section is that believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith, exposes one to demons, and so harms one's fellowship with the Lord. I emphasize there are three parts to that. That everything associated with idolatry is incompatible with the Christian faith. Not only that, it will expose a believer to demons and affects the believers or harm the believers' fellowship with the Lord. And so we say that the First Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 22, is concerned with prohibition against idolatry and various reasons or explanations the Corinthians uh, and so all believers should avoid it. Now this section, we say, concludes the subject of death of some of the Israelites given in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 to 13. And so we say there are two reasons we, we argue that this section is really a conclusion of the previous section, although it can refer to the conclusion of the whole thing about idolatry. The two reasons that we gave is the first is the word therefore, verse 14. That very first word, therefore. That that, and I show that that word is used only twice in the Greek of the New Testament. And in the first usage of it, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, it has to do with concluding what the apostle said about eating uh, meat of full sacrifice to idol. Now, the second reason for our assertion is the command flee from idolatry. Now, which we say is essentially the same thing as do not be idolaters of verse 7. So, we know that the apostle was still dealing with the issue of what he raised in the previous section. Now, so the apostle addressed the recipients of this epistle in the phrase, my dear friends. And we went on to explain clearly that this is something that I explain as an I got, which uh, I spelled it out A-R-G-O-T, which is, as I explained, can basically say it's an idiom or a slang that belongs to Christians. In that early period, that's the way they saw themselves as being dear to one another. Something that I say is missing amongst us today. That tells us it's not a good commentary, but it's just a reality of some of the things that we see. So, it is the apostle that uses it, and not just the apostle Paul, but all the epistle writers, they more or less use that same word to address believers before they begin to give them a command. So we indicated it is to show that the person you are addressing is one that is loved by you. And so we indicated that 
love for a person manifests itself in wanting the best for the person. But we also went in and explained what, what you may do does not necessarily mean that the person you love will welcome it. But in the end, it is for the uncle. And so this is why I say, we went through, I used the example of parents. Why do they discipline their children? They love them. Is the discipline a pleasure? No, it's not. Like I explained that, the child would think you hate him or her. But you know, you have their best at heart. And therefore, the Lord could also tell us something, as we saw, that those who he loves, he, he disciplines. As we saw in Revelation 3, uh, verse 19. And so, we went on again, of course, to uh, indicate that the issue of fleeing is a word that the apostle used in avoidance of sexual immorality and in idolatry. And so we went through and explained and saw how it is important to understand that we should form the habit, because I say that was a present tense in the Greek, that we must form the habit of fleeing away from idolatry, getting away from it. It's a, a habit that you have to form so that your whole person becomes repulsive to idolatry. Now here is part of those things that we uh, modern day Christians, because I'm going to be arguing, no Christian today will be willing to say, I want to be involved in idolatry. Very rare. But we do. Now, here is part of it as we're going to see. Many of us Christians, and this is something that I hope if you are listening to my voice, that you will pay attention to what I'm about to say now. Because of the eternal repercussion of what I'm about to say. Most of us have dragged down Christianity to what you are saying, Madison Avenue? A show thing. Christianity is not a show. So many people, they, you know, they, they are buying for this attention, whatever it is that they are buying in the name of Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's part of idolatry, but not Christianity. Christianity demands from us a life of humility where if you have that tendency to be seen, you want to hide. That's what we studied when I, when I thought someone on the mount. But a whole lot of people have made the Christianity as if it's a show. Who can I do, I do whatever the other person? That's not what Christianity is. It's not a show. You may think it is, but I have to disappoint you from the scriptures because I love you. So that you don't go up there and find out all you did was a show beast on this planet and you went up in heaven. Nothing. Nothing. So that's just why I want to emphasize this because of this thing we're coming to in idolatry. It is not Christianity, it's not a show. So if you have that tendency, if your mind is, uh, it works in that way, everything you want to do is a show off. Please, my fellow believer, recognize you are treading on a dangerous water spiritually. It's not a show. So, this is one of the things that we need to emphasize as we study this section and forming the habit of fleeing from idolatry. So that you, you train yourself. You say training. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing in our spiritual life 
happens overnight. It's a training. We all have to keep struggling, keep doing it, keep doing it over and over. Eventually, it takes over us. Becomes something that's almost what we say second nature. That's exactly what it is. So we began in expanding this idolatry issue and looked at the word used for idolatry, and I said, yes, it's used about four times in the New Testament, both by Apostle Paul, who used it three times, and Apostle Peter once. And they, they, we've looked at how the Apostle Paul used it. Then we started to look at Peter, where he used it to describe sinful activities in First Peter chapter 4, verse 3. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3, that's where we stopped before the break, and that's where we come back. He reads, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, interestingly, Apostle Peter described idolatry with the word detestable, detestable. That is really translated from a Greek adjective that may mean either forbidding or disgusting. Disgusting. Now the meaning of the Greek word translated idolatry then reveals that we should not think of idolatry only in terms of worshipping objects, but focus on self, as that is one of the reasons for greed. We should see idolatry. What I'm saying is, recognize that when you are focusing on yourself, you are in idolatry. That's my point. Once we focus on ourselves, we are in idolatry. Because we are putting self as if it's more important than God. We don't realize that. That's something we all have to contend with. Anyway, so what I'm really saying is that uh, idolatry in the modern time does not necessarily involve man-made images. But it could involve preoccupation with anything other than God. It could involve that. It doesn't mean if you are preoccupied with things that you are an idolatry, but it can lead to that. It can become that. Because if you are preoccupied with things above God, you get involved in idolatry. Now, why did the apostle issue the command to the Corinthians and so to all of us when he says, flee from idolatry? Now, obvious reason for the command based on the context is that some of the Corinthians were still attracted to some form of the activities associated with idolatry. And it is very difficult once you're in a society, in a culture, it is difficult to transcend it. Very difficult. That's like I said, that's why I explain things. Some of you go right back and do the same thing you used to do after you had the teaching. Why? Because the pull on culture is stronger to you than the pull of the Holy Spirit, really. That's what you're exhibiting. Now, this is, it is a very serious thing. That's why our Lord was very uh, emphatic about, you know, people who drink the old wine and go into new wine and all that. It's very difficult. So, these people, they have been in idolatry, they have been saved. Now, some of them are still going back to eat somewhere, somehow. That's why the command is given to them. Now, that aside, the apostle gives reason, though, for prohibition against 
idolatry beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 16 that in my understanding assumes though that a person uh, already knows of the strongest reason for general prohibition against idolatry. Now the strongest reason for prohibition against idolatry that we have considered when we study 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7 but because of the importance of this subject let me repeat the strongest reason for a general prohibition against idolatry. It is that idolatry is one sin that stands above every sin because it is a direct assault to the person of God. That's why idolatry is very serious. It's a direct assault to the person of God. Now we see how serious God views idolatry in that the first two codes of the Ten Commandments concern the subject as we read in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 6. And hold on to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 reads, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. By showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now so the giving of the Ten Commandments is an act that followed the Lord's appearance and speaking to Israel in Mount Sinai in, in such a way that Israel did not want to hear directly from him because of how terrifying it was for the Lord to manifest himself to Israel. The doors, they requested Moses to get words from the Lord and communicate to them. Now remember that Israel had been delivered from Egypt, where there was idolatry. So, the Lord wants Israel to recognize that it is not permissible for anyone in a covenant relationship with him to be involved in the so-called other gods. Is this for this reason? That the first two cousins of the Ten Commandments involve prohibition against idolatry. Now, even after the giving of the rest of the Ten Commandments, the Lord immediately focused Israel's attention to the fact that idolatry was not tolerable to him. Instead, in that Exodus 20, look at verses 22 through 20, uh, 22 through 23. It is. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have 
spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Now consequently, the Lord not only began Ten Commandments with prohibition against idolatry, but before any further communication of his word to Israel, he reinforced the prohibition against idolatry. Therefore, it is not, or it should not be difficult for us to understand that the Lord takes idolatry to be a serious challenge to his glory that he conveyed through prophet Isaiah that he was not ever going to share with anyone. In Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 reads I am the Lord that is my name in other words well, this passage says if you ever want to address the Lord with his name then you say my name Lord, here is really the best way they will try to do it, but it's not. You should say, when you want to address him by his name, call him Yahweh. Because you say, I am Yahweh. We can't really translate other than that. Yahweh, I am Yahweh. That's his name, personal name. Say, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Notice that? Because God is not ever going to do that. That's why I talk about all this showmanship that you see in Christianity. Because people don't realize that. What you're doing is you're sharing in the glory of God. Anyway, a reason done to recognize the gravity of the sin of idolatry is that it is the concern of the first two codes of the Ten Commandments. Another reason we know that idolatry is a grievous sin before God is that it was considered the great sin of Israel and its kings. Now during the Exodus, Israel committed several sins that included failure to believe the Lord, maligning the Lord and his servants, Moses and Aaron, as we can gather from uh, the people's confection in Numbers chapter 21 verse 7. Numbers 21 verse 7. Numbers 21 verse 7 reads, The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. See, they whined and complained and maligned Moses. God sent some snakes to bite them and kill some of them and they died. And so here they confession. What they have done is when they maligned the spiritual leadership, 
Now, despite the many sins of Israel during the desert, none of them, none of these sins, was described as a great sin. But when the people got involved in idolatry by uh, the worship of the idol, the golden calf, Aaron made at their request, their sin was repeatedly described as great sin by Moses. He first stated that in Exodus chapter 32 verse 21. Exodus chapter 32, hold on to that. I'm going to pick another two verses from there. Exodus chapter 32, verse 21. He reads, He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? What is that? Idolatry. Now he's Moses followed the description of sin of idolatry as great sin. is given, look at verses 30 and 31 of the same Exodus 32. Drop to verse 30. Verse 30 reads, The next day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. But now, I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin that these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. So you see, he keeps describing it as great sin. Great sin. Now when Israel got involved in full-blown idolatry because of King uh, Jeroboam, their, their sin of idolatry it's also described with the phrase great sin in Second Kings chapter 17 verse 21. Second Kings chapter 17 verse 21. It reads, when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Now Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. What is it? Adultery. Now, so later on, in the history of Israel, the Lord threatened Great punishment through prophet Jeremiah. And the people of Judah wondered why the Lord would punish them. As recorded in Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 10. Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 10. This is what uh, the prophet said the Lord threatened them with. So he said, when you tell these people all this, and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? 
What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Now look at your question. Because God has threatened great disaster and punishment. So what have we done? Look at the answer. Verse 11. Look at the answer. Verse 11. Then say to them, It is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods, and served and worshipped them. They forsook me, and did not keep my law. Hence then, it should be clear that the Lord considered idolatry the great sin of Israel. Another way we know of the grievousness of idolatry before God is that Israel was warned constantly by the prophets together with threat of judgment. Now in the early part of Israel's history, in the land of Canaan, prophet Samuel warned Israel against idolatry in First Samuel chapter 12 verse 21. For Samuel, chapter 12, verse 21. For Samuel, chapter 12, verse 21. It reads, Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are Useless. The prophet Isaiah warned against the fate of those involved in idolatry. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9. Through 11. It reads, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who will speak up for them are blind, they are ignorant to their own shame. Who shifts a god and casts an idol? We can profit him nothing. He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. Still, Prophet Jeremiah warned of God's judgment due to idolatry in Jeremiah chapter 16. Verses 17 and 18. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16 verse 17 reads, My eyes are are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed 
from my eyes. I will repair them double for their wickedness and their sin, because they have failed, they have defiled my land with the lifeless forms of their vile images, and have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. Now I'm going to read, I'm not going to read this, but you will jot it down. Prophet Ezekiel one of God's judgment due to idolatry in Ezekiel chapter 5 verses 8 through 10. Ezekiel chapter 5 verses, through, uh, verses 8 through 10. However, prophet Hosea declared the wrath of God against idolatry in Hosea chapter 8 verse 5. Hosea chapter 8 verse 5. I'm going to later on return to that to Hosea because I'm going to spend quite a bit of time just to show you how God threatened punishment upon punishment about idolatry. Here it says, Throw out your calf idol, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? Those we can see that these prophets conveyed God's displeasure to Israel regarding idolatry because God considered it a grievous sin against his person. Still, another way we perceive the grievousness of idolatry before God is that it is one sin that the prophets constantly charged Israel. And that's one thing they keep bringing up more than any, every time. Now this we can see from prophets Isaiah's charge against Judah. Now the prophet spoke of the blessings of the Lord at the end of time. May he surprise his audience who were hoping to enjoy these blessings by indicating that they will not. The reason being their involvement in idolatry as recorded in Isaiah chapter 2 Verse 8. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8 reads Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Now, I'm not going to read this, but it's the same thing that uh, uh, you can go home if you check on it. It's in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30, where again uh, the prophet charged Judah of blatant idolatry in that they boldly displayed their idols in the temple. Now the setting up of the idols in, te- in the temple certainly refers to the activities of the people of Judah because of King Manasseh who built altars for the continuation of his practices of idolatry as stated in Second Kings chapter 21 verse 5. 
Second Kings chapter 21 verse 5 Second Kings 21 verse 5 reads In both courts of the temple of the Lord he that is Manasseh built altars to all the staring hosts or idols now the, because the prophets, especially uh, prophet Jeremiah, makes the same charge of idolatry against Judah by asserting the charge of the Lord against Judah of forgetting him to turn into idolatry. Again, that charge is made in Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 15. You can read it down. I'm not going to read it for now. Jeremiah 18 verse 15, Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 15 now the one I want to spend time with is prophet Hosea prophet Hosea repeatedly accused or charged Israel of idolatry now this charge of idolatry is expressed in several ways in his book both literally and figuratively now you all remember it's been a long time ago when we studied the book of Hosea, because he was dealing with an unfaithful wife as a, a representation of Israel. So that passage has a lot to say about idolatry, both literally and figuratively. So, literally, the prophet, Prophet Hosea, mentioned Israel's involvement in idolatry using the word idol and the word bell. Those are the two words he used to refer to idols. Now, the, the now idol, together with the adjective idolatrous, occurs at least nine times in the book of Hosea. So, consider, for example, the following two passages Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. Hosea. And stay on Hosea because we're going to see about four or five more passages in Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. It reads, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. So, talking about idols. But then, go to chapter 8, verse 4. The same Hosea, chapter 8, verse 4. It is, they set up kings without my consent. They choose prince without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. And we study this in detail how you know, people uh, who have material things uh, use it to worship themselves and all that things instead of God. And don't realize that. Now the word Baal, though, appears six times in the translation of the NIV in Hosea. Again, let me cite two examples of that that refers to idolatry in Hosea, chapter 2, verse 13. Hosea, chapter 2, verse 13. It reads, I will punish her for the Days she born incense to the bells. 
She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Something dropped to Hosea chapter 11, verse 2. Hosea 11, verse 2 reads, But the Lord, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the bells, and they burned incense to images. Now, figuratively, then, Israel's idolatry is described in terms of prostitution or unfaithfulness to God. For example, the phrase, the spirit of prostitution, appears twice in the book of Hosea. The first usage is in Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12 reads, Of my people, they consult a wooden idol, and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them away. They are unfaithful to their God. Now in this passage, the prophet charged the people of consulting wooden uh, idols, so it should be clear that he meant that the people were involved in idolatry. Therefore, when he used the phrase spirit of prostitution in the next clause of the same verse, he could not have meant physical prostitution, but a spiritual prostitution that means the worship of idols. Now, by the way, the phrase then unfaithful to their God is also a figurative description of Israel's idolatry. Now, the second usage of the phrase Spirit of prostitution is in Hosea chapter 5, verse 4. Verse 4 of Hosea chapter 5 reads, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. So, the first sentence of this verse points to idolatry, because if the people did not return to their God, it must mean that they were worshipping idol. So, when in the next sentence of the verse, the prophet uh, used the phrase spirit of prostitution, he was certainly using a figurative expression to describe Israel's sin of idolatry. So the point is that idolatry is a grievous sin before God, since it is a challenge of his person. Now, it is for this reason that we should endeavor to flee from it. Now, how does a believer, in practical way, flee from idolatry? How do you do that? It begins with being conscious of idolatry in the various forms in which it presents itself today. Now, for sure, as I said before, no believer in Christ will consciously worship carved images as it is still done today in certain in some countries. But the idolatry believers may be involved today are those that are not easy to recognize. Therefore, to flee idolatry begins with recognizing 
what constitutes idolatry in our modern time so that the believer knows what should be carefully avoided. Now bear in mind that idolatry refers to worship or adoration of anyone or anything other than God in three persons. In other words, idolatry involves devotion to or commitment to things other than images or false gods of worship more than God. In other words, a devotion, a commitment to anything more than God is idolatry. Now, if you affect them, idolatry may involve improper devotion to things or person so that devotion to God becomes secondary. Because they lead service. They give lead service to God. Now, it is this kind of uh, idolatry that we modern believers face. For our purposes of understanding how to flee from idolatry, let me review some few forms of idolatry that we may face that we have previously studied. Now, idolatry may take the form of being in love with material possessions at the expense of devotion to God, as the Lord Jesus implied in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 It is No one can serve two masters Either he will hate the one and love the other Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other You cannot serve both God and money Now the point of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6:24 is that to serve God requires total devotion. A believer cannot be devoted to wealth in the same sense that such an individual is devoted to God. Now because this type of uh, statement is quite easily misunderstood, we need to clarify this. Now our Lord is not teaching here that believers should not show devotion to their work or to their business. He's not saying that. Now, you see, if anything, the scripture requires believers to be the best in everything they do, since they must also do it as unto the Lord. So, to be the best in anything, no doubt, requires devotion. You cannot excel in anything if you are not devoted to it. I don't care what. Pick up anything you think of. You know, look at basketball. You can be good at it until you're devoted. Day in, day out, practice, shooting, in and out, every day. <laughs> That's how you get wherever you go, or football, or whatever they do, catch and throw it. You, you keep doing that over and over. That's how you get anything. You become good in anything. Now, so, we are not saying you should never be devoted uh, to things as such. 
So the point is that while a believer should work hard, such a person must always have God in the individual's thinking. That's the key. It's not that you shouldn't be so devoted. It's, it's, whatever it is, God must guide your thinking. That's the issue. Whatever you are doing. And if God guides your thinking, then it changes a whole lot of way you do things. So, how do you uh, do that? Or how do you continue to be guided in your thinking about the Lord? Well, this is really by constantly remembering God's word. That demands everything must be done to the glory of God. Now this means that the believer will not be motivated by envy or greed, which we'll comment about later though, in whatever that believer does. Nor will that believer be motivated by human glory or praise. Instead, the believer should use the person's work as a platform for witnessing for our Savior. That's how you get devoted. My point is, I don't care what business you are involved in. The way you conduct it, does it really reflect Christ? The people who see you, whatever it is that you do, say, yeah, indeed, that person, oh, there's something about him or her that reflects Christ. Can they do that? That's what we're talking about in terms of being devoted to the Lord, even though you do your work. And you should do that. So that whatever you do becomes a witness for Christ. And if you fail to do that, where the attention is on you or any other person, then you have not, you've got into idolatry and don't even know it. Anyway, so another form of idolatry is being in love with, with prestige and power. Now this we may gather from Satan's temptation of the Lord Jesus in which he offered these things in exchange for worshipping him, as we recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Luke, Luke chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. It reads, And he said to him, I give you all the authority and splendor that belong to the world. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. So a whole lot of people who are so much involved with, you know, they're so much involved with fame and this and that, they have bowed down to the devil. They're worshiping him, but they don't know that. He gave it to them. That's what the issue here is. So as we have stated, Satan tempted Jesus with the offer of prestige and power in the phrase, their authority and splendor in exchange for worshipping him. Idolatry, of course, is a worship of anything or object other than God. So when a person is in love with prestige and power, such a person worships Satan, since such devotion to prestige and power is promoted by him. Does idolatry take the form of love for prestige and power? Still another form of idolatry for us modern people is greed 
as we indicated in the passage we cited previously, I'm not going to go back to it, but you like can jot it down in, in uh, Colossians chapter two, verse uh, chapter three, verse five, where it tells us that greed is idolatry. Now, because greed is equated to idolatry, we had in the past, of course, established that the best word that best sums up greed, since it is described as idolatry, is materialism. That's the word we use to describe it when we explain uh, uh, the issue of uh, greed and idolatry in Colossians 3 verse 5. We use that word materialism that the concise English Oxford Dictionary defines and I quote them. Let's quote them. Say, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comforts as more important than spiritual values. In other words, here you have prestige, you have power, you have money, you have, and here is go to Bible class. That's a conflict. Which do you do? That's what the test is. There is, I mean, it doesn't mean there are things you have to go to work, that's no doubt about it. As I've explained many times, if you are working for someone, then when they say go to work, I don't care what day it is, you go to work. Because work is commanded. But if you're on your own, you are the boss, you have the decision to make. Can I ignore my business, whatever it is, and go to church? If you say, well, no, it will suffer. So let me take care of it. I can catch up with church later on. That's idolatry. That's the point I'm trying to make to you. It's when you put anything. Because if you're working for somebody, you're not that person's authority, you can make that decision. Say, well, you got to work. But if you are the one who can make the call, and you put your work above going to church, at that point, you're in idolatry. See the difference? Same thing, but the difference is what we look at. So, hence materialism though, should be understood as a desire to possess things at the expense of one's spiritual life. In other words, the desire to acquire wealth, for example, or power, at any cost. Because one is in love with wealth or power than with God is what we mean by materialism. Now, we do not mean that a believer should never desire to enjoy the good things of life that God has created for his children to enjoy. That's what we were talking about. Now, we are saying that these things become, when they become our focus, instead of God and our spiritual life, then we find ourselves in materialism. Now, so the various forms of idolatry may occur in our time that we have identified enables us then to suggest practical manner of obeying the command of First Corinthians 10 verse 14 that is the only thing we have studied in that section yet which is flee from idolatry. So the practical manner of obeying the command that we have here is to monitor one's thought constantly in other words, you should flee from idolatry by constantly evaluating your thought and so your actions. Now check if your thought is leading you 
in the direction of being devoted to anything or anyone more than the Lord. Now, if, if because of your thought of someone, say, a family member, now you are tempted to please that individual instead of God, then you should immediately abandon that thought and action that could result from it. Because that will be going into idolatry. Now check if you are being drawn towards prestige and power at the expense of your spiritual life. If so, you must distance yourself from such thoughts. So I am saying that you should quickly get away from any thought that leads you to a place or to place prestige or power over your spiritual life. Check if your thoughts are are leading you towards materialism. If that is the case, reject that thought and any action that shall result if those thoughts were to be carried out. So dismiss as quickly as possible any thought that goes in that direction. In addition to what we have stated, a believer flees from idolatry by avoidance of close relationship with unbelievers. So that the believer or the individual is not led astray into idolatry because of friendship with an unbeliever. You should do, or you should also constantly be evaluating what celebrations or customs you get involved with to ensure that such is not a form of idolatry. So anyhow, the Holy Spirit has commanded us free from idolatry. We must do everything in the power God has given us to obey this command. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet who wants you to know the love of God for you. We want you to know that God in his goodness and in his righteousness, in his justice, loves you, but because of his justice, he has created a place called the lake of fire where all everyone that has rejected him will spend eternity. But there is his love. In his love, he sent his son. Jesus Christ who left all the glories of heaven to come to this world that has been darkened by sin. He came to take on human body, human form. He lowered himself because he wants to elevate you. He lowered himself because he wants to call you his brother or sister. And he saw he came Thought, did a lot of miracles to demonstrate that he is who he claims to be. After all that, he was arrested and they took him and made a mock trial of him. They beat him so badly in the praetorium. More or less, they scared him alive because when they were beating him, they used those. Uh, Whist that the Romans were 
good uh, fall with spikes that when he hit the body, he would draw some flesh and blood. The Son of God did not even utter a cry. He endured it. And he carried his cross. Staggered and fell. Somebody had to help him get to Golgotha. And there they laid him down, nailed him. Can you imagine the pain? They lifted that cross and sunk it to the ground, putting more pressure on his body everywhere. It was aching and everything. It's, it's difficult to perceive what our Savior was going through. Yet he didn't say a word. He didn't cry. Until the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being judged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable that he let out that cry, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He let out that cry because of what he was carrying, bearing the penalty of sin. He knew the awfulness of being in hell. So he took your, his place, uh, your place so that you don't go there. By him doing all that, he demonstrated his love. So that if you believe in him, you will not spend eternity in the lake of fire. If you don't, my friend, hell is not a picnic. It's not a place where you will go after hundred years you come back. That's it forever. Can you imagine? Throbbing pain that lasts forever. Can you imagine that? That's what you will experience if you reject Christ. So believe in him and and escape the wrath of God. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us as believers so that we will run away from idolatry in all its forms. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.